0: Hello, my name is Carrie Stevens, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Allison Werner. We are the co-chief editors of Plastic Surgery Practice. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. Today, we are joined by Dr. Constance Chin, a New York-based board-certified plastic surgeon and leader in microsurgical breast reconstruction. She is here to talk to us about innovative techniques and restorative breast surgery. Dr. Chin, thank you for joining us today. It's
1: such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Thank you. I have to say, so this podcast interview is extremely personal for me since I underwent a double mastectomy in 2020. And I personally am very familiar with the um, numbness that can come after mastectomy. And just for me, what I've noticed is the safety risks and just, you know, not being able to feel when I'm burning or if, if say hot water was spilled on me, not being able to feel that and just, it's, I think people generally think in the terms of sexual function for breast sensation, but really I've noticed more for the safety aspects. And is that something that you're hearing from your patients? And, you know, what are your mastectomy patients saying to you in regards to numbness?
1: Well, I think that you are absolutely right that safety and, um, you know, the skin is just uh, the largest organ in your body. And so when your breasts are numb, that's a huge area of your it's your entire chest area which can't feel anything so it's not just a sexual thing which is also important or um you know i think part of it is just feeling like a human being where you can feel the world around you um but i do have a story where i had a patient a few years ago who i did a breast reconstruction on and she came in after her surgery and she had a red splotch on her breast. And I asked her, you know, what is that? And she said, oh, well, I was cooking recently and I got a grease splatter from the pan and it hurt so much. And I was like, well, that is terrible, but it's also wonderful that it hurt a lot because you could feel it, address it. She immediately put cool water on it, you know, a cool compress, and it didn't turn into a a third degree burn or a blister or anything like that. Um, She took care of it, it was just like a little pink. Um, alternatively, I have another patient who a few years ago had breast reconstruction. I think it was about six years ago and, um, maybe about a month or two ago, she, um, you know, her shoulder hurt, she was lying on a heating pad and fell asleep. And the next thing I know, she called me and said, um, my, there's a, a, my breast is blistered. I don't know what happened. And she had burned herself on the heating pad, but didn't know it she couldn't yeah. feel it. Mm. And if she had had a resensation, she would have been able to feel that and potentially prevented that from getting to the point where, I mean, this was maybe one or two months ago and she's still dealing with this wound.
0: Wow. Yeah. I don't think it's something that people generally think about when they think breast reconstruction. I mean, I, I knew in theory about the numbness, but until you experience it, it's something that's so different than, honestly, what I would have even expected. So, yeah, I mean, I just think what you're doing is amazing. And can someone who, oh, can you please talk about the resensation process and how this became a field of interest for you and just how long you've been doing it? So
1: I've been doing it for, actually, I I like to say 10 years, but I think it's more like 15 years now because Mm -hmm. time just marches on. Um, I think the pandemic is this kind of lost time and it doesn't even exist, but I've been doing it for a long time. And, um, when I first started doing it, I only did it in certain patients who had the right anatomy, um, because in order to restore sensation to the breast, I, um, dissect a nerve from, so I only do it in people who have flat reconstruction, natural tissue breast reconstruction, um, because the nerve needs to innervate something that is alive. And so, um. So I will take tissue from another part of the body, usually the lower abdomen or the upper inner thighs or someplace like that. I'll dissect out a nerve, and then I'll reconnect the nerve to a nerve in the chest wall. So that is how I used to do it originally. A few years ago, um, there was a company called Axogen that developed a nerve graft that um, they started making available to plastic surgeons for breast reconstruction. So now I do it a tiny bit differently, where I still dissect out the nerve but I don't have to dissect out a long length of nerve. So the donor site uh, does not lose sensation in the same way that it used to. I just need a little stub, and then I connect that stub of a nerve to a nerve connector, which is then connected to this nerve graft. It's processed from uh, basically a cadaver, and it's, um, they are very picky about their nerve, so it's only the best nerve, so to speak. You know. And then, um, and then the other side of the nerve is connected to another nerve connector and that's connected to another nerve on the chest wall. Um, usually the one that used to innervate the nipple areola complex. And so over time, the, uh, axons in the nerve regrow and at a millimeter a day and the sensation is restored. Um, there's different types of sensation and they come back at different rates. So the first type of sensation to come back is deep pressure followed by light pressure, followed by pain, and then temperature is the slowest. So sometimes it may take months or even years for all of the sensation to come back, um, but it, it, it is a process where it eventually comes back. People who have been numb for a long time, I think they notice it coming back a little bit more quickly because um because they have been numb for a long time. I think people who have, for example, someone who's had normal breasts the day before, they, I think they still notice it coming back. I mean, I have a patient, she was a brotha patient. Um, she had prophylactic mastectomies and reconstruction. She got sensation. She actually says she feels pretty normal now. She says her um, breasts feel pretty much the way they did um, as before her mastectomies. But, um, but you know, for them, the day after surgery, yesterday you had normal breasts. Today, it's you know, it's yeah. different. And so, but for someone who had implants for a long time or no reconstruction, they notice it. I've noticed personally much more quickly. I mean, within some of them, within days, they're like, "Oh my God, I can feel things." I was like, "Well, it's a little fast," but you know, <laughs> um, I think sometimes the implant itself, because it's uh, synthetic, almost blocks nerve growth, and so it it also makes it. That makes sense. So who is a good candidate for resensation, the resensation technique? And and does it work for everyone? It sounds like it's not for everyone. So um, resensation is basically something you can do on someone who is healthy enough to have surgery. Um, for me, I, I only do it in people that I um, do natural tissue breast reconstruction on. I do implant reconstruction too, but in those people, I have not been able to figure out how you could make an implant have sensation. And so, you know, I I don't do it in those people. Um, There is a woman who does do some type of resensation with implants. Um, My understanding is that her mastectomy flaps are a little bit thicker. So I think it has more to do with leaving the nerves in the mastectomy um, intact more than, I mean, I just don't see how otherwise do it, because there's not a nerve to connect it to uh, on the other side that way. Um, but so then from that standpoint, there have been studies of who it works better on. It tends to work best on people uh, who don't have as large a breast or who are slimmer. Um, I think that makes sense because there's not as much distance to travel. Let's say I said I have plenty of patients who have C and D cup breasts that I did resensation on and they've had really good return of sensation. So it's not like it's only for an A or B cup breast. Um, in fact both of the people who um, are I have some videos on my website of patients talking about their resensation. I don't know if I should say this, so but you know, their breasts are pretty big. So you know <laughs> it's not, it, it certainly works for a larger breast. Um, and uh, I think smokers, it's always going to be a little bit more difficult. Um, mm-hmm. If you're uh, uncontrolled diabetes, um, again, if your BMI is over 30, I think it makes it a little bit more difficult. But um, but other than that, someone who is healthy um, – mm-hmm. I'm trying to narrow it down, but it's kind of anyone who has breast reconstruction. One thing is if you've already had a flap reconstruction and you did not have resensation, the nerve does need to be dissected out at the time of the flap elevation. So if you've had no reconstruction or you've had implants or you haven't had your mastectomy yet, then you could have resensation. If you have already had either a trim or a deep or a latissimus flat or some other sort of natural tissue reconstruction, but did not have resensation, then you can't unfortunately go back and dissect out the nerves that they will have already atrophied and okay. um, you
0: can't
1: do that. Okay.
0: Can you talk about more patients that have, you know, undergone such as myself? Okay. I have implants, like implant based reconstruction that then come to you later. Can you talk just some specific examples about that and just, how they're saying that having sensations improve their lives.
1: Well, I think for people who have had implants for a while, it is, those are probably the patients where it's most rewarding to do resensation uh, on them because they know what it's like to be numb. And, and it, most of them didn't really like it. I mean, I don't yeah. think of anybody who really liked it. Um, so for example, uh, there's one person who might um, say, who talks of Jane, who talks about, um, she's a surrogate mom. And when she first got her baby, she couldn't feel her baby when she was on her chest. And it was just kind of sad. And, um, but then after she had breast reconstruction with resensation, um, I used her upper inner thighs to create her new breast because she's a pretty slim woman. Um, she said it was unbelievable to feel her baby on her chest. Um, I mean, it actually made me cry to hear her story. I didn't know that about her until I saw her video. Um, I knew she had other problems. For example, her hands were tingling and numb because her implants hurt her and all sorts of things. But I didn't know about that story of her daughter feeling her on her chest. And she also talks about how when she goes swimming or takes a shower, she can feel the water running down her chest. And it's just an unbelievable feeling where she feels alive again. Tara, who's also on there, she um, she's someone who is a BRCA patient. Her mother, her grandmother, her aunt, um, lots of female family members either had breast cancer, or unfortunately, she saw a lot of family members die of breast cancer. So when she was in her twenties, she was BRCA tested and discovered she was BRCA positive. And as she tells it, she feels like she got the golden ticket because now she knew. Why this was happening, and she could do something about it. And so she had prophylactic nipple sparing mastectomies and implant reconstruction in her twenties. And when I met her eleven years later, one of her silicone implants had ruptured, which is wow. why she was sent to me. And so I removed them and replaced them with tissue from her lower abdomen. I did a deep flap on her with resensation and. For her, that was life changing too. She could not believe she could feel everything again. And she was still young when this happened. She was in her thirties. And, um, you know, other patients have asked her, do you feel sexual sensation? Do you feel like, what do you feel? She said, I feel everything. Yes, including Mm -hmm. sexual sensation. And, you know, she has since gotten married and whatnot. And it's just, um, it's just a really nice thing because she's going to have these new breasts for her for the rest of her life, probably longer than she ever had her implants or even her old breasts, hopefully, because she's <laughs> you know a young woman. And um, yeah. yeah, so it's a great thing that she can sort of live fully in her body as it was basically meant to be.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, so let's
1: talk about... Um... You know, where this all fits into the profession. Are many of your colleagues incorporating the resensation process into reconstructive surgeries? And is it a part of specialty training for plastic surgeons who focus on breast reconstruction? So no, most of my colleagues are not incorporating resensation in their practices, um, in large part because most plastic surgeons who do breast reconstruction are not microsurgeons. And in order to repair a nerve, which this is a one millimeter structure, you have to be comfortable. If not using a microscope, then um, using loops. And most breast reconstructions—70% of breast reconstructions in this country—are implant-based. And you just do not need to be a microsurgeon to do that. Um, but even amongst microsurgeons, it's not that common because um, of market-driven forces, having to do with product availability. Um, the nerve grafts are expensive, and so most hospitals do not want to pay for it. Um, In addition, there's a lot of pressure to do cases quickly and um, operate on as many patients as possible. And that is not really consistent with doing special things like restoring sensation to somebody's breasts.
0: And okay, so I know in my mastectomy group, a lot of people, they've been talking about this a little bit. My mastectomy group's on Facebook. You know, there's some doctors that do write this um, re-sensation, I don't know if they exactly knew the word to describe it, but right. can nerve regeneration
1: right. and can
0: feel again. How do people find, like how do people like me or people that are undergoing mastectomy for the first time find doctors that do this technique?
1: That is a great question. Um, I'm going to say Andrea's not gonna love this answer because she probably wants me to say, go on the Oxygen website, but I don't think that's the right answer <laughs> um, because <laughs> frankly, not everyone who um, does sensory restoration uses the antigen nerve graft. Um, yeah. So I don't mean to, I'm just saying this because I'm sorry about that. But um, <laughs> for you <a few, laughs> years, sorry. I know, but you know, it, it's true. It's so um, I do happen to use it. I think it's a great product. But um, but so if someone is interested in sensory restoration, yeah. probably, um, I don't know an easy answer to that, but I think it's going to be quote unquote doing your research, which may be, looking up sensory restoration online, um, the patient boards, things like that. Um, the other, the woman I talked about who um, is very passionate about sensory restoration, I don't, you said she's not a, uh, she's not an antigen person, like that. I don't even know if she uses them now, so mm-hmm. she, I don't know? She does. Oh, she does. It. Yeah, she's on it right now. Oh, she is. Okay. WHCRA, so when they find somebody, it's their right to reconstruction. Right, right, but that's not the question. how do you find someone who does sensory restoration? So, um, so how do you find someone who does sensory restoration? Um, I mean, honestly, that's one of those things in any profession. Years ago, I had my ACL repaired, and I had to choose between two orthopedic surgeons. One was the orthopedic surgeon for the 49ers. The other one was a really nice guy that I met who was um, the pediatric orthopedic surgeon at Stanford, where I was a medical student at the time. And I cornered an orthopedic resident to try and get me to tell, you know, to tell me which one I should pick. And she, yeah. say. and finally she said, well, you know, don't tell him when I said this, otherwise I'm going to get fired, but I would go with the orthopedic guy. It has bad bedside manner, but he gets it every time, you know? And yeah. so, um, so that is just really hard information to come by unless you're actually in the field. And even amongst plastic surgeons, frankly, I'll bet you not every plastic surgeon knows about resensation. And so um, I was
0: not meant, nobody mentioned that to me. There was never it's, it's not a thing.
1: It's not a mouse. thing unless you are a microsurgeon who is at the forefront of your field who is innovative and um you know like I said I'm part of a group of microsurgeons around the world. We meet every couple of years to talk about the latest and greatest and for, but that's like a very small group of people. It's not it's, it's not like a special club or anything like that. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not a formal organization, you know? Yeah. Um, so how do you, so it's, it's a hard thing. So I think that for a patient it's probably going to be a patient boards, word of mouth, which is not a great way to go about it. Looking online. Um, you could go on the oxygen site. They have some doctors, but there are, there are going to be more people who do sensory restoration than just those people. Um, and, um, so I don't know, I'm not giving a great answer, but no,
0: I mean, I think that just the know, fact know,
1: knowing that it exists and yeah. the yes, it is the biggest heart. Heart. I
0: don't think a lot of people know this exists and I'm really yeah. glad that we have you on our podcast telling everyone that it does. And I think it's going to change lives. I think if someone hears this and I think a lot of women will be really interested in this.
1: I think it's the same thing as deep flat breast reconstruction 10 years yeah. ago. So I told you the story earlier about um, when I was a resident at the University of Washington, um, I think I was a second year general surgery resident and I was rotating through the plastic surgery service and I was in the combined program, so I already knew I was going into plastic surgery. And um, I, the patient that I, as the resident, you're sent in to see the patient first. And that patient was a professor at the university, really smart woman. Who already knew that she did not want implants, um, but she also didn't want a tram because she didn't want to sacrifice her muscle. So she felt really stuck um, because there were no good options for, from her standpoint, breast reconstruction. And so, you know, I told her, well, there is a great option. Um, You know, I don't think there. At that point, there was nobody on the West Coast who did it. But um, I said, there's a the guy in New Orleans who's doing something called deep inferior epigastric perforator flaps, where it's like a tram, but you don't take any muscle. And so for people who are young and active and um, you know, horseback ride or basically want to keep their muscles, and um, you know, it's a it's a great option. He's been doing this for a little bit. And people were pretty upset that I told her about this sham surgery, and um she was upset because she was told it was a sham surgery that was, you know, not a real surgery. And uh the person who was so upset at me, this is the only operation he does now. And so, you know, 10, this is, I guess, 15, almost 20 years ago, 20 years ago, I can't even believe that, but it was a long time ago, maybe more than 20 years ago. Um, at that time, deep flaps, there was literally not a single person surgeon on the West Coast at all who did deep flaps. And now, I mean. If not everywhere, it's not uncommon to be able to find a surgeon who does a deep flap. And I would say everyone knows what a deep flap is. And I think yeah. that was patient-driven, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was the um, I I think it was people, especially in the prophylactic mastectomy uh, right. world, where people do a lot of research and they have the luxury of time to be able to choose their team and figure out what the best possible uh, reconstruction is out there, because these are people with normal bodies, normal breasts, no known disease. Um, they're having surgery, but they don't want to wake up mutilated, looking and feeling different, etc. cetera. And, um, you know, so I don't know. I think for sensory restoration, I have a feeling it's going to need to be patient driven there too.
0: Yeah. I know for me, my doctor never mentioned deep either. Um, they, I, well I asked no, if, I she doesn't could do it.
1: It. if she didn't mention it a lot of times that means she doesn't do it.
0: Well, I think it was my first doctor. He did, but he said, I wasn't a good candidate for it. I remember he's like, Oh, you're not a candidate for deep. So right. I don't know, but I think yeah, for- that's,
1: that's like 99% of my patients is they've seen six other plastic surgeons, all of yeah. them said they weren't good candidates. And,
0: really? Um,
1: and that is a not- whole nother topic of conversation is, that's- Um, people who are told they are only a good candidate for an implant. I mean, it's definitely an easier operation. I'll, I'll admit that.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: But um, because usually it's because they're too thin or some other reason, but I even had one patient come in and she was pretty chubby and her surgeon is a surgeon I've worked with. He's a great microsurgeon. He told her she wasn't a good candidate. And I was like, God, you're not a good candidate who is. I mean, and she wanted a deep flap and I was like, you know, do you want me to call him? Because frankly, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I want to know, what is there something wrong with her that she's not telling me that, you know, why she's not a good candidate? But I think the issue there was, you know, he worked at Sloan Kettering and they're very, very high volume and they're 90, 80, 90% implants and they cannot do a deep lab on every patient. So be right, their Yeah. So they just cherry picked who they can do it on. And for whatever reason he didn't want to feel like doing it on her, he just didn't. And so she had implants and, by the time she came to me, one was ruptured, one was infected. And so we did deep flaps on her and her sister and her other sister. And, and so, it
0: worked. Yeah, and it worked fine. Well, I think this, you know, will be a great next podcast topic. So we'll make sure that we get you on our podcast again. So, okay. <laughs> Yeah. That is
1: such, I mean, that is a frustrating thing because yeah. literally patients come and they've seen six different plastic surgeons. Yeah. Some of them, like some of them are okay if they don't do it so that I can understand. But some of them, they do. And yeah. I, I have literally never met somebody who I couldn't do a flap on. And so it's, um, yeah, it, yeah, that's a whole nother
0: topic. Well, and I think it. too, with the breast implant illness, as people are, have more concerns yes. and really are moving away from the implants, so many people are explanting, I know this seems to be, well. You know, we'll just have to get you on our podcast again and talk about that because I think that would be an excellent next topic about that. Our readers. That'd be
1: fun. I love talking about that.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on, Dr. Chin. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. We'll be back soon for the next Plastic Surgery Practice podcast. In the meantime, visit com for the latest industry news. Until next time, take care.